Good morning, Imago. My name is Brian. I'm part of the formation team and the teaching team here. So, and today we're going to be talking about Joseph. I know you're thinking of Joseph sermon during Advent, groundbreaking, but that's what we're going to do. <laughs> it's going to be good. So we're going to start with the source of all good things, TikTok, and we're going to have a short little video to kind of start off our conversation. So we'll go ahead and play that first, hopefully. Guess what I am for the nativity? I'm a classic Classic one. role, is Classic it? role, classic is it? Part. Classic yeah. part. Yeah. Um, Joseph. Joseph. No. No. One of the three wise men. No. No. What are the innkeepers? What are the innkeepers? No. Um... um but it's a classic part. But it's a classic part. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, you tell me then, because... I'm door holder number three. I'll be holding doors. That's amazing. Holding doors for who? Um, probably um, Joseph and Mary. Oh, my gosh. Were you pleased when they said that? Yeah. And what did you do? And I was like... I'm a door holder. Get in there. Let's go. Yes. Whoa. And, and and maybe because there's no room, I'll probably be just low, be like just coming in, and then I'll just slam them in, slam the door in their face. <laughs> Is that your star role? I'll probably, maybe I'll probably be dressed up as a door. But when you look closer, actually, door holder number three actually might be a better part than Joseph. Um, he doesn't get to do very much, and we actually don't know very much about him. That was the only thing that, that surprised me the most as I kind of dug into to get ready for this week. Um, just there's so many things that we think we know because of Christmas movies and stories and plays and artwork. Um, it's surprising how much we don't actually know. So I just want to start with that. What are some things that you already know about Joseph or have been told about Joseph? Carpenter. Yeah. Right, he did not prosecute Mary, but stayed with her. Nope. He was quite a bit older than her. We're going to actually talk about that because that may be an urban myth, but yeah. Yeah. He was a man. There you go. That's true. Good. Yes, so the, the name for his job was translated carpenter a lot, but actually it could mean lots of jobs, including a mason. They said even up to being like almost like an architect who would design a building project, it could have incorporated lots of different things. So yeah, we, we default to carpenter because that's easy, but yeah, his job was probably more complicated than that. Good. Anything else? From Bethlehem? Yeah, there's actually a lot of debate about where he was actually from, too. I know. Things like, of course he was. And then you could dig into it and they think, well, maybe, maybe not. And they, yeah, they have lots of ideas about that. Good. Well, and, and again, that's it. It feels like we, you th again, you would think, oh, we know a lot. And then when you dig in, like, ah, I don't know so much. He's actually more of a man of mystery. So as I was studying, it was interesting to see the things that came up about Joseph. So I'm just going to share some of those things to get us started. One, he has no spoken words in the Bible. We never hear any words that Joseph says directly. All the other major players in the nativity have beautiful speeches and poems and things, and Joseph is silent all the way through. In fact, he's rarely even mentioned in the Bible. Only 14 times is he even mentioned by name in all the Gospels. 
He's never mentioned in Mark. He's only mentioned twice in John. And in Luke and Matthew, they mention him briefly, but never in any other part of the New Testament, even though this is one of the people who is arguably closer to Jesus than almost anyone aside from Mary, right? But he's silent. The last time that we hear about Joseph is when Jesus was 12 years old and the family went to the temple. And then there was such a big group of family, they started to come home from the temple and they didn't realize that Jesus had been left behind. And so this is um, the way they describe that in Luke 2. They say, after three days, they found Jesus in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you mistreated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And some, tra some translations say, be about my father's business. But they did not understand what he was saying. To me, that feels kind of like a burn, right? It's like classic, you're not my dad. Why are you, you know, why wouldn't I be here? So, yeah, so that's the last time that we hear of Joseph. After that, no more mentions of him at all. This one, it's a little embarrassing to me that I am this many years old and didn't know this, but um, Joseph is listed with two different dads in the Bible. Matthew says that Joseph was the son of Jacob, and Luke says that Joseph was the son of Heli. How did I never pay attention to this before? Now, because it's a difference, and there's been lots of years and lots of scholars worried about this, there are many theories about why this is listed that way. One idea is the idea of nature versus law. The idea is that Heli maybe died, and then Jacob gave his seed to Heli's widow, and that's where Joseph came from. So by nature, one father, by um, law, another father. The other idea is that he had a birth father and an adopted father. Um, Augustine talked about this a lot. He said that Joseph had both kinds of fathers, and the Gospels traced his line through both fathers because um, Jesus had an adopted father as well. So that was the idea. Um, that was kind of interesting because in Jewish law, there's really no idea of adoption. They just didn't have that. So if a father was um, lost or killed, then the rest of the family would step up, but that child was forever the um, son or daughter of their real father, real father. The adopted father never changed their lineage. They could not uh, um, inherit anything from the adopted line. It didn't really matter. So that was an interesting argument. Um, also, some people, and a lot of scholars, and this is what I was told for a long time too, that one um, gospel, Matthew talks about Joseph's line, and Luke talks about Mary's line of genealogy. And I was told that a lot. Um, when I looked at it, though, I don't know where that came from. It doesn't say that. It says Joseph in both places. Um, and again, the scholarship, there's argument on both sides, voluminous argument. You could go on for days for both of those. But that was one of the things they, they talked about. Um, another interesting side note that I had never noticed when I was looking at that. Um, back in Jeremiah, chapter 22, Jeremiah curses a king called Jeconiah and said that none of his descendants would ever sit on the throne of Israel. And he says, this is what the Lord says, record this man as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime, for none of his offspring will prosper, none will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. Um, guess who's in Joseph's family line in Matthew? Jeconiah. So he's not obviously a blood relative of Jesus, but isn't that a strange thing? Why would that show up in the genealogy? There's a lot of things like that in the, in the genealogies that are strange. Now, Joseph probably actually wasn't very old. At that time, the culture was that usually boys were around 18 or 19 when they got married, and um, girls were usually around 13 or 14. 
Um, but a lot of us had that idea that Joseph was much older. And the reason was, um, for a long time, the church was really big on the idea that Mary was a virgin forever. She was a virgin until Jesus was born, and then she was magically made a virgin again, and she stayed a virgin for the rest of her life. That was very important to them, that message. But Joseph makes that message difficult, and siblings make that message difficult, right? So the story that then was told was how Joseph was much older. He'd had a previous wife and previous children, so all of Jesus' siblings were actually um, step-siblings, and that he was, again, in his 90s when he married Mary, so that he was more of like a grandfatherly companion that would just take good care of her and would certainly never want to have sex with her. Like, that was the message that he sent across. And the reason we see that now is in the artwork. In a part when a lot of art was being made about the nativity, this was the common story. So oftentimes you do see Joseph as a much older man in classical art, so in the nativity. But again, it was just because that was the story that it helped. Um, we do know that Joseph was poor. We know that because when Jesus was presented at the temple, the offering they gave was a pair of doves or pigeons. And in Leviticus, that was what you would give if you couldn't afford the real offering of a lamb. So he didn't have a lot of resources to do that important thing. We also know that God chose him for this job. And that's important because we forget that. We, think of, we talk about Mary, right, being chosen as the mother of God, and she kind of eclipses Joseph. I know that's super rare in the Bible for the woman's story to ever eclipse the man's story. It's kind of refreshing. But in this case, we forget, though, that Joseph was also chosen for this particular job. It wasn't a random thing. He wasn't just in the right place at the right time. God picked him. We're going to talk more about why that was later. So I was learning all this stuff about Joseph. I kept wondering, why is he such a blank slate? Like, why would we not know more about this character who should be really important, an important part of the story? And again, lots of theories about this too. A lot of writers talk about how it's really important to keep the focus on Jesus and God, and Joseph just gets in the way of that. So his story is kind of pushed to the side so he doesn't interfere. Some scholars talk about how he models something they call Joseph's way. And that's because we never hear his words, so he's silent in the text, and he always obeys God as soon as he hears a word from God. He does it. And so he was held up as a model of, here's what we should be. Don't ask questions, don't talk, obey as soon as you're told what to do. And so that idea um, as being a very holy and beautiful thing was presented. And, you know, sometimes as I'm teaching my third graders, I think, yes, that would be lovely if everyone followed <laughs> just this way. It does not happen, though. So... We also see lots of examples of people using Joseph to explain something that they want to get across to people. Whatever their issue of the day is in the church, Joseph can be a tool to present that story. It could be something like Mary's constant virginity. If that's really important to you, you can use him to help reinforce that story. It could be an idea of what does Christian masculinity look like? What does a godly man look like? Look at Joseph, that could be. It could be talking about adoption or foster care. There's so many things that we can take Joseph and put him into the story that we want to tell. We just have to look at his actions to figure out, because we just don't know much else. So we look at the few things that we do know about Joseph, and that helps us to figure out more about him as a person. The thing we have to remember is we have to hold all those interpretations loosely, right? We don't have direct knowledge. We don't have letters from Joseph. We don't know exactly. So we can think and imagine we can take our filter of Jesus and look at Joseph through that lens, and that's all good things to do. And we also still have to hold those ideas, right, with an open hand to be like, this could be it. And we could be wrong about that, too. And that's all right. So to kind of understand Joseph better, we are going to talk a little bit about the culture that he was in, what he had grown up in. And the idea is, what had Joseph seen all around him his whole life? What cycles were being repeated again and again about marriage and family? And how did that work? So in his time, engagements were very different. Your marriage was usually arranged by your parents and some kind of outside agent. 
Um, they usually didn't force you into a marriage of someone that you didn't like at all, but you really were not a big part of the process. They would say, here's your person. Does that look okay? All right, here we go. Um, it was so, and it was a very much a legal contract. Once you were engaged to someone, it wasn't just like a Hallmark movie where you say, oh, will you marry me? Oh, of course I'll marry you. We're done. No, no, it was like a big deal. There were documents to be signed. There was a marriage order to be signed. You had to have witnesses around. It was a very big production to get engaged. And then once you were, the law said, Roman law said you had two years to actually get married. The Jewish custom was usually about a year until you were actually married. But that was the plan. There was not, no going back on that. To break an engagement was just as difficult as to end a marriage. It was a very complicated, hard thing to do. Now, once you were engaged, though, you both went back to your own father's houses and stayed there until you were ready for the actual wedding to go. So you're, you would you know, maybe run into each other, but you were not close by each other. You went back to your father's houses. So the wedding was a big deal. The groom, or often the groom's father, to be honest, and just notice how much fathers show up in this whole process. It's kind of a big deal. They would say, okay, today's the day. So the groom would get all his fancy clothes on, get a whole parade together, march through the streets, go to his fiance's house. She would hear that he was coming, throw on her wedding gown that she had been getting ready this whole time so she was ready to go. He would come pick her up. They would parade through the streets back to his father's house and the party would start. First day, there would be big celebrations. The groom would be the center of those celebrations. The bride would go off with her friends quietly to get ready in a separate room. Then the next day, the actual wedding would happen. It would be what you'd expect. Lots of rejoicing, lots of prayers, songs. They would actually read the marriage contract out loud, which is super romantic. So they would do that part too. So everybody knew what was going on. They would get married. There'd be more feasting. That night, the couple would go to the, their new room. So while the um, engagement process, while the bride was getting her dress ready, the groom was building a room for them to live in, usually just an extra room on his dad's house is usually how that would go. And then we go to the extra room, they would consummate the marriage, and then there would still be a couple more days of celebrating. Now again, this was a, as much about bringing the families together as the couple together. The two families were intermingling, connecting, rejoicing, so it was bringing everyone together into a big group. So that would be what they would expect for marriage. That's what Mary and Joseph were expecting to happen when they got engaged. That was the plan. Now at this time also, there are very strict rules about adultery. We already said that once you were engaged, you could not have sex with anyone else. That was adultery, just like as if you were married. Um, during that time, if a woman was caught who's engaged was caught in adultery, both she and the man could be punished. The punishment could be stoning. Um, it, they didn't always do that, but that was what the law said. That was what happened if you were caught in that. Now, if the man found out that his fiance had been with someone else, he had some choices. Most often, he would bring her to a public trial. They would have witnesses, everyone would know what had happened, and one of the main reasons was that then everyone would know that he was in the clear, that he had not done anything wrong. It was not his fault that this happened. He could also do it quietly with just a couple witnesses. Um, that was allowed, it just wasn't very common. People didn't usually see that happen. Now, an interesting twist, if a man accused his wife of not being a virgin when they were engaged and then it found out that he was wrong, and he accused her falsely, and don't even start about how they proved that. But if they did that, then he not only had to marry her, but he was never allowed to divorce her. It was one of the few times that a man was never allowed to divorce his wife in that time. So again, these are the stories that Joseph would have seen played out over and over again all around him. That's what his friends would have been doing. That's what his family would have done. That's what he would have seen his whole life. This is how marriage works. So can imagine, again, Joseph is a just man. That's the one word that describes him in the Bible. He was a just man. Sometimes it says just, some translations say that he knew the law. He was well versed in the law. He was faithful to the law. So we don't know how he found out that Mary was pregnant. 
It just says it was found, and then a great vague description of what happened. We don't know if Mary told him. We don't know if a gossip chain got to him. We don't know what happened. But he found out this was the case. Now, again, it wasn't a Hallmark movie. This wasn't the love of his life, right, that he had gone through the apple orchard with and picked things and had this beautiful moment. <laughs> but it was someone that he cared about, and it was someone that he had been dreaming about, right? This is where his future was going to be. So hard, devastating, right? In what, back then, what would a just man do? He would follow the law. He would do what the law said because good people made sure the law was followed, right? And if you did something wrong, there were consequences, and you couldn't get around that. But he was also more than just. The law said he couldn't marry an adulterer and that she should face consequences, but he didn't want her to be disgraced. He didn't want her to go through a public trial. And at this point, there's no indication that he had any reason to think that she had not messed around. I mean, who would have thought, oh, she probably just got pregnant with God. I'm sure it's fine, <laughs> right? That was never on his radar. He just didn't want to hurt her, and that tells us a lot about him. He also was exposing himself to a lot of gossip and talk, right? Because if your fiancé suddenly is pregnant, there's only a few choices of how that happened, right? She messed around on you, so you're an idiot. Or you lost control of yourself and you got her pregnant, so you're not the upstanding man everyone thought you were. Everyone would have known they were engaged. Everyone would have been talking about why they were not engaged now. So again, he took a quiet route as much as he could. Now, to me, this is really important. He made that choice before the dream, right? Before God came and told him, it's okay, don't be scared. Before God said, it's all right, we got you. That's significant to me. Right? How much, I mean, how many times have we wished, oh, I wish God would just tell me what to do? Just give me a dream, say, go do this, and I would do it. Absolutely, right? But we don't get that option. <laughs> and Joseph started this path before the dream. So it's interesting. Joseph had four different dreams in the Bible. Um, this was the first one, right? When God said, don't be afraid, take Mary as your wife, call the baby Jesus. That was also a big thing to let someone else name your kid. Very big deal. Fathers chose a name, and when they announced that name publicly, it was a very big deal. It's how he said, this is my child. This is how I connect to them. Later, he had a dream um, to leave and go to Egypt. They were in danger. This was a big deal. It was a 100-mile journey just to get to Egypt. We don't know where they went exactly in Egypt, but the areas of the, where there were a lot of Jewish people living in Egypt were another 100 miles into the country. So a very long journey, very dangerous. And again, he left everything behind. He left whatever trade he'd been building up as a carpenter. He left all that. He left his family, any family support, Mary's family, Mary's family support. They were on their own in a foreign country, but he went. And then later, when he started to kind of get his feet under him in Egypt, started to kind of build his life together, then God's, okay, go back. He picked up everything and went again and went back. And then on the way, he had another dream. It's like, oh, wait, no, no, don't go there. Don't go to Judah. Go to Nazareth instead. Again, we have to remember, that's like saying go to the sketchiest, shadiest neighborhood to live in with your family. We've seen later how people reacted when they found out Jesus was from Nazareth, right? They're like, oh, from there? Nothing good comes from Nazareth, right? So can you imagine Joseph's like, oh, I have to go live where? With, okay, here we go. But he did. All these times when Joseph is making these choices, he's breaking cycles of what he had seen before. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about him. We're going to look at some of these different cycles that he broke. 
First, he broke the cycle of what men and fathers were expected to do at that time. In the Talmud, a Jewish father had four responsibilities for his son. Teach him the Torah, find him a wife, teach him a trade, and then some also say teach him how to swim. I thought that was very oddly specific, but it's in there, so there you go. So he knew that was his job, right? How do you do that for this child who is God's child? How do you take that role with this person? Now, this was kind of interesting too. I didn't understand how the Jewish culture, and actually just the world in general at that time, understood how conception worked. But the general view was the woman provided all the physical materials to make the baby. Like all the raw materials came from her and a place for the baby to grow. The father provided the spiritual impetus, the thing that would actually create what kind of person this baby was going to be. That was what he contributed to it. So actually for people at that time, the idea of someone being fully human and also formed by God was not that hard to understand because you think, oh, well, sure, Mary provided all the raw materials and then the Holy Spirit shaped Jesus into who he was going to be with those raw materials. We look at it differently now, but that was kind of interesting to see that was what they thought. But again, here's Joseph. That's what he's thinking, right? Mary provided the raw materials and the Holy Spirit made this kid and now I'm supposed to somehow teach him about the Torah and how to be a good person and how to swim. Okay? <laughs> So he had to break that cycle of what he thought he was supposed to be doing as a father, right? He had to break the cycle of what other people expected him to do. He had a good reputation. He was an upstanding man, just, right? He knew the law. And here, he didn't go the way that people expected him to go. He did things differently. He picked up and left with his family. He didn't stay close like most people did. He had to break those cycles. He even had to break the cycle of what he thought made God happy. Everything that he'd been taught was, here are the laws of the Lord. You obey them, that makes God happy. You disobey them, bad things happen to you because the Lord is displeased. That's all he had heard. He was doing what he thought, right? His whole life, he tried to do what he thought made God happy. And now, it was something very different than what he'd been taught. And he had to step away from those things. Now, again, he had the reinforcement of the dreams, and I don't want to diminish that. That would help a lot, Right? Still scary, though. And I know for me, I would be trying to figure out what did I eat that gave me this weird dream. Like, this could not have been from God. I must be hallucinating or wishful thinking or I'm coming up with this somehow. It'd be very hard to trust that. He broke the uh, cycles of what he expected for his own life, the way he thought things would turn out, right? The plan he had for his family. We've all had that, right? It cost him a lot to make that one decision to keep Mary, not to divorce her. But it also changed everything else that happened afterwards, right? I'm curious what you think. What would have happened if Joseph had not done that? If he had chosen to divorce Mary quietly, not persecute her, but just divorce her quietly and go his own way and find a wife that was completely his and have kids that were completely his and not have to flee the country for fear. If he could just build his life there, what do you think would have happened if that was the choice that he made? There are no wrong answers. I'm just curious. Yeah. So Vicky said that God would have found someone else to do it. I didn't plan Vicky in the audience, but that's also what I think, too. <laughs> I do. I mean, I think the, you know, the plan was there for Jesus to do what Jesus needed to do, and I think it would have still happened, but Joseph wouldn't have been a part of that plan. 
anymore, right? So when we look at Joseph's life, again, there's just parts that we don't know. But we definitely see this really to break cycles, to do something different than what had happened before. And I think that's what we're called to do when we look at Joseph's life. We all have cycles that we have to break. We have cycles in our family, right? I have so many friends who grew up with very difficult family situations. And they have gone on to make beautiful homes for their biological family and for their found family. They have escaped those patterns that they grew up with. Now, for me, I didn't have that experience. So I am so impressed by people who are able to do that. It takes so much courage and strength. And many of you are those people. We have to break the cycles of our culture and our society, the things that we are told are right, the things that we are told this is how it is. This is how it goes, right? Just go along with it. We have to break those. And what's hard is that sometimes we don't even see them. Maybe we've been benefiting from those cycles all this time, and we didn't even realize it. Maybe there's going to be a cost to us when we step away from doing what's been always done. Sometimes the hardest part is just seeing that it's happening and then being brave enough to step away from it. We even have to break away from cycles in ourselves, right? I'm amazed at how many things I have absorbed over the years that I didn't even realize I was telling myself. Things that no one told me directly, but I told myself again and again and again. And once I saw them, I had to try to break them and step away from them, and that was really hard. And we all have those. And again, seeing them is sometimes the hardest part, right? You don't even realize that you've done that. But then you see the cycle, and you have to be brave enough to step away from it. Now, Joseph is still, in many ways, a man of mystery. We don't know what his relationship with Jesus was like, for example. We know that later on, in Matthew 13, people say, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? I mean, they're still connecting him with Joseph, although it ticks me off a little bit, they didn't even say his name. Would that be so hard? But again, people knew Jesus was connected to his dad, right? We don't know how Joseph coped with the pressures of raising God's son. We don't know if he was able to shape someone who was formed by God first. But when we look at Jesus' life, I think we see another man who broke unhealthy cycles who did what was right, who didn't do what was expected, who chose to love people over the law. I think this is why God chose Joseph for his other dad. I think Jesus took after both of his dads. And we get to do that too, right? So we all have cycles that we have to step away from and break. We won't always be the most famous person for doing that. You may not have lines in your story. Your story might disappear. It might be eclipsed by the stories around you that are more shiny or more impressive. But the cycles that you break still matter. The love that you push into the world to break those cycles still matters. And even though you'll pay a price for it, because we all do, right? No good thing, unfortunately, doesn't have a cost. But it will be worth it. And instead of being the one who got left aside from God's story and stepped out of it, you'll be the one that stayed in and still move forward and push love into places that needed love. Not for yourself, but for the people around you who need you. So as you go out this week, my prayer for all of us, starting here, all of us, is that we will see those cycles that we are in and be brave to break those cycles.
like that mysterious <laughs> St. Joseph. So we're going to um, actually continue now with um, an affirmation of faith. So it's going to be up here on the screen, and I'd like you to read it with me. But if you would stand, we're going to um, say this together as we finish. All right, let's say this together. We believe in a God who offers second chances and does not hold grudges. We believe in a God who opens the door to new life and leaves the porch light for us when we get lost. We believe in a God who believes in us. We can make a difference, choose grace over comparison, love over hate, peace over war. And so we strive to listen as Joseph listened and be the people God calls us to be. It's all that easy and it's all that hard. This we believe. Amen.